Hi guys, welcome to the FinTech Coffee Break. I'm your host, Isabel Castro. So not that long ago, I caught up with Novicap's founder and executive chairman, Federico Travella, in Paris. In a beautiful studio overlooking Montmartre, we sat down to discuss the topic of supply chain finance. Now, while Novacap is focused on financing for the full supply chain, what I was really interested in for this conversation was deep tier financing. Feder explained that this area that is approached by few has huge potential for global development and economic stability. We spoke about this opportunity, the challenges involved, and why now is a critical time for attention. Hi, Feder. How are you today? Good morning. Doing great. Thank you. Good, good. Glad to hear. Um, welcome to Paris. Thank you. Sunny, <laughs> sunny for once. Yeah, it's lovely, right? It's really nice. And we're in a lovely space for the recording as well. Um, so to begin with, I just want to know what gets you up in the morning. Usually and also after this very busy uh, Paris FinTech Forum days, it's, uh, it's my alarm clock. Okay. Um, so that, that was definitely the case this morning. Um, but, but usually, you know, I go for my 5 a.m. Uh, morning run, do a bit of yoga afterwards, and then uh, finish the morning with a green juice and a hand uh, ground uh, black coffee. Um, actually, that's not the case. So I'm not uh, an early riser. I think I've, I've come to accept my uh, circadian uh, rhythm nice. doesn't doesn't uh, get me out of the bed uh, too too early. I'm not not uh, not really a morning person. Um, but I think it's it's an exciting time. And so what what gets me up in the morning is you know I'm an entrepreneur. I I love bu- building businesses. That that's my obsession. That's really what what drives me. What gives me positive energy. And I think we've never been in such an exciting world. To build businesses, even though we're at a seven-year uh, low when it comes to uh, venture capital funding, uh, the advancements of, of of technology, of you know, obviously AI, and we can talk about later, is is very exciting. And so, specifically when it comes to fintech, you know, I'm very long-term bullish on that industry. Um, there's some recent reports that show it's going to be a 1.5 trillion revenue industry by 2030, and I definitely want to put my mark on on that industry. Yeah, no, and I. I think you are already. I mean, what brought you to founding Novicap? What was the journey? Uh, the journey uh, hasn't been the typical one, I would say, as, as probably in many entrepreneurial stories. So I'm Belgian-Italian. Uh, I grew up in, in, in Belgium. And um, I'm, I'm a marine scientist. Uh, so I'm a marine oh, wow, geologist. Okay. Uh, so not a typical tech or, or business background. Um, and now I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial uh, streak in me. And so I've joined uh, the global venture builder, uh, Rocket Internet, post-graduation. And uh, so they were starting to build all those e-commerce businesses globally. And that really inspired me. I thought it was going to be an MBA in entrepreneurship. And so post-graduation, um, I joined them as a project manager for a couple of e-commerce, e-commerce projects in Australia and New Zealand. And then quickly I moved to Singapore where they built um, one of the largest e-commerce businesses in, 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 uh, in history called Lazada with an eventual uh, successful exit to, to Alibaba. And during my time there, I was starting to see some of the struggles that uh, small medium businesses go through when they um, are paid on terms. So when they're paid uh, late, right? So if I'm issuing an invoice to um, a trade debtor, my client, and I'm getting paid in 60, 90 days, that has a tremendous um, impact on my organization. Uh, most small businesses, they obviously have their expenses on a 
you know, on a monthly basis, but often also weekly or daily basis. And so if you're paying your employees every month, but your clients are paying you on 90 days, that puts a lot of pressure on your organization. And that brought me to to try to innovate in that space. And, and that's eventually what, what Novicap um, came out of. And uh, so having seen some of the incumbent banks that are not able to um, deal with this problem in a cost-efficient way, let me to think that that complexity can be addressed by building superior technology. And that's how I start uh, Novicap to address those those uh, those struggles in working capital management and financing for uh, small medium businesses. Okay, that's a really great journey. You've seen kind of like all areas of the spectrum of where you're working in now. Um, so Novicap focuses on working capital ma- management, but today I'd like to focus specifically on deep tier financing. Um, maybe to begin with, please give me and our listeners a general overview of what that is. Yeah. So if you think about supply chain financing, um, the, the first um, wave of innovation in that space in the last few years has been focusing on um, financing the long tails of suppliers of established companies, of exp- established uh, corporations. So think about um, a large FMCG company um, that wants to provide working capital finance to its direct uh, tier one suppliers. So it's been very one-dimensional in in shape. And so say you have um, thousand suppliers, typically incumbent banks have been financing the biggest suppliers. Uh, so typically the 20% of suppliers has 80% of, of volume of spend, right? And so incumbent banks have been very much focusing on, on that because it's big tickets, it's easy to onboard those suppliers, and as such is profitable for the bank. And so the first wave of uh, supply chain finance innovation um, has been focusing on getting the remaining 80% of suppliers on board for those programs. And that is typically through better technology. And that's also where, for instance, Novicap has been very successful to ensure that that long tail of suppliers can can be financed. And this is where indeed technology is 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 a, is a solution. And so, as I mentioned, this this has been a very one dimensional uh, space so far. So the tier one suppliers of a typical um, credit worthy uh, client or, or debtor. And deep tier financing, also sometimes called multi-tier financing, is bringing this to a two-dimensional space. So instead of going lateral, we're going deeper. Right? So we're going to the suppliers of the suppliers of the suppliers of the suppliers. So this can extend um, to many, many levels. Right? Um, but so the, the central idea is that uh, instead of remaining in that one-dimensional space, we, we go deeper. And so it's it's still a form of um, uh, supply chain finance because it allows the flow of capital um, throughout the entire supply chain and also further down. And so it allows those suppliers to access financing while making sure that buyers are able to pay their suppliers on time. Mm-hmm. And so this type of financing helps, of course, those suppliers um, to, to be in, in, in good, you know, it promotes a good financial health of those uh, suppliers, but also at the same time, it strengthens the trade relationship between uh, all, all the actors in that supply chain. And so what, what comes out of that is that suppliers throughout the entire um, chain, so also at deeper levels, they're able to purchase the materials required to produce uh, goods or, you know, or services, but typically it's goods. And, and this obviously allows um, the end buyer to ensure there's no delays in the production, that, that the entire chain is working properly. And this is, of course, going back to risks in the supply chain to keep everything in good financial health. 
but also to ensure that there's no delays and and um, the the end uh, buyer can can uh, can have more visibility on uh, on production as such. And so we've seen this being beneficial as a reliable source of capital, uh, but also especially more and more in this world to reduce the risk in, in supply chains. And I'm happy to to elaborate uh, more more on that. Yeah, go ahead. Go go into the risk that it reduces. Yeah. So so. We've started, when I started looking at the space, um, it was all about financial inclusion. So we're talking about an expansion of financial services throughout that entire supply chain. And um, obviously providing access to capital to, to small suppliers typically that are not included in the typical uh, financial system. right? And so this means that businesses of all sizes have access to, to capital, and this now enables them to, to grow and, and succeed, which is, is fantastic. Um, so a typical example which, which we've um, you know, looked at is, is, uh, is, let's say, farming. Right? So say you're a smallholder farm in an emerging market. Think about Africa, um, uh, Asia, uh, Latin America. So such business will typically struggle to secure uh, credit or, or loans locally because they're small and so they have a poor or they have no credit score and as such they have little access to credit uh, from local banks, um, let alone international ones. And so those incumbent banks, the way they underwrite is that they typically tend to underwrite on a balance sheet model. Right? So they will be looking at the balance sheet of that small business in Guatemala or wherever they're based on a standalone basis. And so that balance sheet centric model leads to banks typically rejecting these businesses because of risk. In addition, for local banks, uh, the cost income ratio, which is eventually also what I've seen with Novicap, is typically broken for those small businesses. So the technology doesn't, isn't, isn't advanced enough um, to, to make that uh, segment profitable. And there's been some very often uh, local, um, what people call microfinance initiatives, no? Um, but they typically don't provide sufficient liquidity, especially if your end client, which is an, an exporter of that you know, small farm or a big buyer in the West, is paying you on terms. And so typically those local microfinance and, and uh, incumbent banks are not able to provide sufficient liquidity. And now say that that, that um, a smallholder farm is, um, is producing you know, grain, for instance, right? And so eventually that grain is bought by a very credit-worthy Western buyer. Um, to, to take an example, Nestle. Right? So it's, it's a good credit. It's it's an investment-grade uh, company. So this becomes a very strong data point for underwriting because Nestle is a very strong credit. And so the central idea of deep-tier financing is that you leverage that entire supply chain between um the original supplier and a strong end buyer as an anchor debtor, as they also call it, to provide financing at deeper levels of the supply chain. And um, this, again, uh, leads to financial inclusion, but also reduction of the risk for a business like, like Nestle. Mm -hmm. It sounds like this stuff would really kind of work to the, well, at least the E and the... S, the social no actually all of <laughs> all of ESG uh, the social and governance areas um would you say that is is it going moving towards more sustainable development and maybe go into kind of how it does that on a global scale yeah so the 
it, it definitely uh, it, it captures the entire uh, definition of ESG. No, no doubt around that. Um, maybe before that, uh, you know, the the benefits it brings besides financial uh, inclusion, right? This is improves cash flow for 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 those businesses. Um, uh, the risk that it reduces uh, in, through the entire supply chain, um, but also that uh, the trade relationships in that entire supply chain are, are improved um, because, and we've seen more and more um, large organizations paying attention to that is that if you're squeezing out your suppliers, that um, under ESG, obviously that, that becomes unacceptable, um, but also it increases the risk for you as an organization because, and I've seen this myself firsthand, um, if your payment terms are that punitive, that uh, suppliers are no longer willing to work with you, that also can can affect the, the the availability of goods or services that you need as an organization. So that those improved trade relationships is something which which um, organizations are starting to pay uh, more and more attention to as well. Mm-hmm. This, did, yeah, uh, this kind of sounds amazing. Why hasn't it been addressed before now? Yeah, the it's not a new concept. Um, I think the the core underlying reason is that uh, those incumbent banks have been ineffective at providing uh, liquidity uh, financing to small businesses locally. And so banks have had, as I mentioned, typically stringent requirements when it comes to onboarding uh, KYC, but also their underwriting models are typically outdated for a more uh, globalized world. And um, as such, the, the processes to, to onboard those businesses to, to provide financing are typically not working in that uh, small, medium business segment. And so, in essence, it's a cost-income ratio problem in, in this specific seg- segment. Um, and so, deep-tier financing can provide a more reliable source, a more, more efficient uh, way of financing those small businesses, um, which with, with them eventually not having the risk of running out of funds before they actually can also complete production for for the for the end buyer, but in essence, I would say that that uh, the underlying problem is a lack of technology, a lack of um, of, um, of 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 uh, yeah scalable setup on on the bank side. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, supply chains are kind of in a shaky position if they're on a global scale, right? We're not in the best macroeconomic situation. Um, Are there any additional challenges to deep tier financing given the current situation? Yeah. So the, yeah, supply chains indeed are, are, are in limbo. They're, they're uh, being, you know, there's a lot of nearshoring happening. If you look at what, what's happening, for instance, in, in, in the Americas, right? Like with, with the U.S., for instance, bringing as many supply chains back 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 home, but also some of the nearshoring in in Mexico. And I think all of that also, by the way, creates a lot of opportunities uh, for 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 supply chains for supply chain financing as well. Um, I I think that the difficulty today that you have this this new uh, geopolitical element, where you know likely in the most um, geopolitically sensitive uh, um, period since the Cold War. And as such, I think many more governments, but also development banks will be starting to pay a lot more attention to how supply chains work, whether they're sustainable, and also how capital can be injected um, to to ensure the availability of certain goods. And obviously, 
agriculture, which is the example I mentioned before, is a good example because eventually food food security is 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 again top of mind, and that wasn't the case a few years ago. Mm-hmm, definitely. Are there any particular developments in technology um, in fintech um, that you would feel will supercharge institutions' ability to engage in deep tier financing? Yeah, I think the the the, the central idea here is how do we bring more uh, capital in the space, right? and and so this obviously goes back to underwriting models. Um, but also the complexity of the problem. So if you look at at, at generally global trade um, and and then supply chain financing and, and deep tier financing, is that it's such a complex problem because there's so there's this intricate web of, of actors of parties with multiple variables to optimize for. You have um, financial inclusion, which you know governments, development banks uh, will will be paying extra attention to. Um, there's a health and the risk of a supply chain, which is, is particularly important for, for ent- enterprise um, buyers in this world. There is the availability of working capital throughout the, the chain. Um, there's financing rates. What is the cost of, 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 of capital or, or financing for the multiple actors in the chain? There's security of certain goods, which goes back to the geopolitical um, um, elements we've, we've touched on. And um, so... Complexity is generally something that I think technology uh, can solve. Uh, and so the advancements when it comes to Web3, when it comes to uh, AI, could help us expand financial services as, as such. And so my base um, um, assumption is that if we talk, for instance, about AI, is that AI will be solving those problems better than humans can do. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think it's the opposite is probably hard to argue. Right? Is that that um, humans will will do it better than AI? Um, and so my, my base case assumption is that that uh, the, the advancements in technology will be able to to help us uh, better in, in in that regard. Um, similarly, you know, AI didn't need a cup of coffee this morning to to get mm-hmm. up in the morning, right? And so if we follow that assumption, what will really matter is um, um, going also more to to the ethical part of, of those advancements in or advances in, in, in when it comes to technology and AI specifically is um, what do we optimize for, right? What do we ask the system to, to optimize for? Um, and I think in a system with, with the wrong in, or let's say instructions or instructions misinterpreted can have uh, disastrous consequences. So for example, um, if, if, if um, AI will be uh, leveraged for a fund manager, an asset manager, to maximize the risk-adjusted returns that can be derived from financing, supply chain finance, deep tier financing, it may not lead to the financial inclusion we all envision, right? Which we, I think, generally as an economy and a, and a global society care for. And this is because that fund will be optimizing uh, returns that may be actually churning certain suppliers or excluding them, them excluding them from, from financing because eventually risk adjusted that would not lead to the best outcome. And similarly, it may lead to extremely high interest rates like usury um, because the AI believes that, that there is uh, the possibility to charge those rates. Um, and so this, this goes back to some of, you know, the global discussion the scientific AI world is having today is is you know how strong can AI be uh, become 
um, and, and how is it being managed? And I think that is the core discussion. These are two different uh, uh, sets of, of, of problems um, that are now being, I think, reviewed by you know, AI experts, which I don't count myself uh, amongst, but, but I'm definitely following the advances uh, and, and how the technology could be leveraged also in, in our space. Mm-hmm. Where do you see, or where do you see in specifically deep tier financing the AI making a difference, which could get out of control, and then how will people manage the risk of it getting out of control uh, and affecting uh, people? Building on top of the um, the example I touched on in agriculture, right? Mm-hmm. So if if um, a government decides that they have an interest in um, in ensuring food security. But it can also, for instance, happen with, with energy, right? So the, there is potentially one risk um, in which, you know, we want to ensure sufficient resources in a certain jurisdiction or for a certain business or for a certain uh, organization that an AI, for instance, monopolizes an entire industry, right? So if we think about grain, which is obviously top of mind for many countries today, um, but energy as well. Uh, if we in, you know, provide the wrong instructions, there is a risk that um, uh, such system will monopolize and take over an entire industry to ensure there is uh, no constraints when it comes to that resource in a certain country. Um, the way to uh, limit that risk is, I think, a lot harder to address. Um, I don't think we're there yet, by the way, in terms of, of, of systems, right? It's not happening, uh, luckily, today. Um, but I think global collaboration will be the only solution because it's a globalized problem by by uh, by by definition, and so that's what you see now is that the whole AI community is starting to collaborate a lot more carefully with regulators. They're obviously pushing for regulation, which arguably uh, may also be in their favor, especially for the most advanced uh, organizations like you know Google, OpenAI. If regulation uh, enters the game. It may also become harder for new entrants uh, to 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 build or, or compete with them. So it's a bit of a you know this is an interesting discussion itself. Um, but so that global collaboration will will be the only solution uh, for 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 limiting, I think, the the impact that a rogue uh, AI AI can have. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a very complicated um, thing to manage. Definitely, yeah. and especially when it comes to 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 sensitive areas like like i mean food security again is, is is something i would expect people to pay a lot more attention to in in the coming years um and and it's important both for exporters and for importers right because if you think about emerging markets um some countries have 25 percent of their gdp coming from agriculture and so there's already been historically which goes back in fact also to, to supply chain financing and deep tier financing there's been historically a lot of um uh, initiatives locally like in terms of you know government guarantees and so on to foster export um, but now also the import countries are starting to pay more attention to okay do we have availability of certain resources and how do we secure that supply chain um, uh, this naturally brings us for instance to China uh, obviously the export nation um, we we all we all follow closely and and so there, for instance, their road and belt initiative to, to connect uh, east to west is a good example of that. So they make sure that working capital is injected along the way. And so there's been also banks like Standard Chart that collaborate with um, with with that initiative 
to ensure that um, so the, so the entire supply chain from east to west uh, for those goods, for those um, um, yeah, transporters and so on, is, is insured. And this is, I think, a very good example of, of how a nation is, is aggressively pursuing um, um, to, 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 to improve its export uh, capabilities through also uh, working capital finance throughout the, the supply chain. Um, but agriculture is definitely one that that uh, I would expect governments, uh, development banks, uh, and many other actors to to uh, yeah to increase um, their uh, their investment. I mean, with um, some of the issues that are going on, some governments, especially in the larger kind of jurisdictions, they're focusing a lot on self sufficiency, and I wonder whether is there still that incentive to collaborate particularly between the large economies yeah. in the world is there still that kind of it, it's definitely there i think it's, it's a misconception that that global trade is slowing down mm -hmm. uh, actually the the opposite is true uh, it's, it's not slowing down um and and uh, maybe, maybe you know even domestically if you think about the us where i think farming and farming related activities is five percent of gdp mm -hmm. So even the U.S. domestically has a very strong um, incentive to ensure that industry is in good financial health, and supply chain financing, for instance, is, is is a very important part of that to ensure that all the actors throughout the supply chain have access to working capital finance to ensure um, food security. And the U.S. of course is 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 unique in that regard because it it is um, it is um, uh, self sufficient for for most. Uh, Produce. Uh, they are, you know, uh, they have enough grain. European situation from that perspective is different. Mm -hmm. So, in that regard, we're probably as Europeans more interested in some of those uh, cross-border uh, initiatives, and uh, um, arguably than 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 the than the US. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, um, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of the interview. Uh, I have a few more questions for you before I let you go. So. The first question I have is, what is a piece of advice that you have been given? It can be about anything um, that you would give to others. So I think, Isabella, we've been talking about financial service today. And I think one of the the the, the, the central ideas that comes back in financial services is always about trust. Huh? I think similarly, um, one of the biggest advices uh, I've been given is, as an entrepreneur, is the the return of of investment of of investing in trust is the highest in in life, and so you can visualize that as a you know a piggy bank, right? So you're adding uh, in any business relationship or personal relationship, you're adding coins to that piggy bank to build up a trustworthy relationship, which uh, I think will lead to. Um, yeah, too many exciting things in, in life. And so as such, investing in trust is, is one of the 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 best investments you, you can make in your career. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. Um your curveball question. If you had to delete all but three apps from your smartphone, what would you keep? Yeah, beyond the the standard applications. Yes. Yeah, okay. Let let's yeah, define <laughs> that. That's gonna be <laughs> So beyond the standard applications uh already installed on your Android or iPhone uh, device, I would probably go back to you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay. Nice. Um I think we all need to eat. So maybe keeping one 
uh, food delivery app is 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 is, is a good one. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave in the middle which one. Um, uh, then secondly, I think you well transport is is not on the I think uh, hierarchy of needs, but eventually you have to go back to your to, to your house from time to time. So I think transport is is one I would also keep. So you know, bring you to to a couple of other options. And I will definitely keep one uh, one note taking application, which mm-hmm. I think is is uh, is one of the yeah is is essential in in uh, in in business life. Absolutely, especially when you're dealing with kind of complicated issues. That's right, problems. and I think AI applied to note taking is is another area which uh, excites me a lot, and I, I hope to see a lot of advances in in, in the near future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely helped me with my job. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm going to let you go. But before I do, um, how can people get a hold of you either personally or just through Novicap? Best thing I think is, is you know, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, a good personalized uh, message on LinkedIn, I think uh, is, is, is the best way and be happy to, to engage if, uh, if it's you know, mutually interesting. Nice. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed you as a guest. Um, and yeah, have a great rest of your time in Paris. Thank you, Isabel. You okay. do. As always, you can reach out and chat with me on my personal LinkedIn or Twitter at Izzy Castro Writes. That's spelled I-Z-Y. But for access to great daily content, check out Fintech Nexus on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also sign up for our daily newsletter, bringing news straight to your inbox. For more Fintech podcast fun, check out the website, where you can find more fascinating conversations hosted by Peter Renton and Todd Anderson. That's it from me. Until next time, enjoy your downtime.